Horrific Network Entertainment. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. <laughs> welcome. We have been expecting you. <laughs> <laughs> My calculations are correct. You're going to see some serious shit. What is going on, everybody? This is Jimmy, and this is another episode of The Tribute Show. Man, it's been a little bit for The Tribute Show, but we are back covering our Diz Family Reunion coverage as far as the bulk of our convention coverage taking place right now on The Tribute Show. Theme park coverage is vastly approaching, though. And uh, excited to say that the return of the tribute show, Writing with Horrific, coming back in kind of a new form and fashion over the course of 2022, looking at having two Roblox award shows a year. So we're looking at uh, categories so much more than uh, the uh, like. rides individually um are like so bet instead of best dark ride looking at these parks right now do any of them deserve a nomination stuff like that so i'm excited about that that'll be starting back up here soon the hhn uh, evolution of hhn hollywood that'll can be continuing soon as well and uh yeah man the video for of that episode two of that actually will be up um tomorrow thursday probably knock on wood and uh yeah we'll be going from there today though tom morris and cat cressida disney imagineer and the voice of the black widow bride talking about hhr hhn haunted mansion like the speculation of what it was gonna be before uh anybody actually knew what it was going to be so kind of interesting stuff there i think that uh, this is going to be a panel that you guys enjoy and uh i uh definitely enjoyed listening to the conversation so without further ado let's get into it cat cressida and tom morris talking about what public opinion of the haunted mansion was before it was officially open Famous voice actors from cartoons, video games, and Disney attractions and shows, including Toy Story, The Tower of Terror, and The Haunted Mansion, Kat Cressida. <laughs> former, former Imagineer and current Disney historian, Tom Morris. Because, Tom, you like to dig up favorite facts about the Haunted Mansion, and specifically a time period back when the Haunted Mansion sat empty. Right. And specifically, now it was an opening day attraction here at Walt Disney World almost 50 years ago. Right. But in California, there was a period of time from 1963 to 1969 where it sat dormant and it languished. 
and it waited. And you were a young man at the gates, waiting. <laughs> and that's where our story starts. That's right. So, and, so take it away. And I wasn't the only young man. I thought I, I might have been the only young man, but you know, in retrospect, uh, there were several people kind of in my camp. And we were all wondering, like, when is this going to open? So we would go uh, to Disneyland. You know, most families back then went once a year. That was considered normal. And sometimes they went twice a year. And we'd go running up to see if we call it the haunted house because it wasn't even a sign uh, for the first couple of years. It just sat there, with not even that notification sign that was written by Marty. And so, when is the haunted house going to open? Um, and so, um, yeah, that is my lane, I guess you can say. Your niche? Um, it's my niche, yes. And, um, you know, there's other historians out there that know a lot more about the Haunted Mansion and all the characters and its post-opening history. But my, is, my little thing that I'm interested in is that period of time where it sat and languished and why did it sit there so long and what was inside of it while it languished. And in Southern California in the 60s, before the internet, there were rumors. Um, every neighborhood had some rumor about why that haunted mansion or haunted house at Disneyland hadn't opened. And there were rumors about it being too scary. They opened it. It was too scary. They closed it. They reopened it. It was still too scary. Someone had a heart attack in it. Uh, these were all rumors. And they were, they were prevalent and consistent rumors. And so I just love that whole period of time. That's why the Haunted Mansion is my favorite attraction, is because it just has that particular attraction element. And how many of you are here because Haunted is your favorite? So um, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take you through the Ken Anderson version. For those of you who are familiar with Haunted Mansion and know all the history, um, that's not my segment. There are people that know a lot more about that. And you know Jason Sorrell, who might be out there, and Jeff Baham, and, and Kat even knows a lot more about certain aspects of the Haunted Mansion than I do. I'm really like obsessed with the Disneyland version um, that was teased. I mean, we were teased and, and, and mentally tortured for six years. <laughs> uh, first, the sign appeared, and it's like, ooh, there's going to be a haunted house. And then they handed out this brochure in 1962 that says, yeah, we're going to do this haunted house. It's coming. And, um, and then we started seeing promotional artwork for it, like this, this uh, uh, Sam Kim sketch, and it even goes back earlier, back to 57 with Ken Anderson, and most of you all know that it's based on, actually based on a house in Baltimore. Who made the decision to pursue that house is still uh, kind of an unknown aspect. Um, this particular drawing here, is uh, Marvin Davis elevation that has recently um, surfaced, and Marvin has gotten um, some of the credit for the final um, iteration of it. But one of the things that I've discovered in my archaeological digging in the last year or so, um, going through all of the construction drawings of the Haunted Mansion, I, I look for the names of the people who, the draftsmen, the lowly draftsmen who, um, who, who did the actual finished drawings, and the, key, and the guy who did the key elevations for it is right there. His name is Dean Tavalaris, and he's actually still alive, and he was Francis Ford Coppola's production designer on every single Francis Ford Coppola film. Nominated five times, and he won one Academy Award. 
and he was the one who did the because he, you know, he, he, I'm sure it was because he was uh, identified as the most talented of the draftspeople there. So he would do the key. It's like an animator; he'd do the key drawings, and he did the key elevations. And he may have been the person who changed the cupola on the top from a hexagon or from a square to a hexagon, but we don't know. He couldn't remember. So anyway, this, <laughs> this shows up in 1963, and I'm like, you know, wow, let's go in. No, it's not open yet. It's not ready yet. Next year, soon. So we waited, we waited, <laughs> we waited. Are you in any of these photos, Tom? No, but that's my avatar in the red shirt. <laughs> that's what I would do first trip to Disneyland. Our first, um, it, first thing when we went to Disneyland is I would run to the haunted house. Because that was such an intriguing, um, you know, notion about, about, you know, we get to go in a haunted house. And everything at Disneyland was so cool, so this would be the coolest haunted house in the world. And they would even open up the gates sometime for publicity pictures, just, you know, to kind of hint that it's coming, it's maybe next year. All of the souvenir guidebooks would always say, coming next year, coming next year. And finally in 64 or 65, when they realized it's not coming next year, even though they kept saying it's coming next year, they had Marty Sklar write this, you know, notorious and famous sign on the outside uh, asking for ghosts to send in your application to the Ghost Relations Department. And yet again, in 1964, you know, 65, but they're still saying next year or soon, you know, implying basically that it's gonna be next, it's coming next. And so 65 rolls around, and what are those people doing out in front? And 67 rolls around, and what are those people doing I mean, they're in the yard of the Haunted Mansion, but it's still two years away from opening. And, and you need to understand, there isn't even a New Orleans Square right. at Disneyland at this point. That doesn't open until the summer of 1966. So, yeah, and, so, right. and, and so there's this mansion, and it's just sitting there, and it's as if it's calling your name. Yes, it had my name on it. <laughs> and it had a lot of other people's names on it. And you know, and I would as I sat there drooling at the gates of the mansion, I would wonder like, well, what are they doing in there? You know, it must be really great. Whatever it is they're doing in there, it's taking a long time because they want to get it right, and they're you know trying to figure out how to make ghosts transparent or whatever. So I was imagining, of course, everything was happening in the house itself. And um, but what's interesting, what I have found out, well, let me see. I don't want to go off uh, course here. Let's see what was really going on. So there's the big, Walt called it the big hole for New Orleans Square. And on the left is another hole for the haunted house. And so that's really what it looked like until they actually began building the show building for it in 1969. It sat back there like that. So how could there have been, you know, uh, how could it have opened once or twice and been too scary? Um, you know, that, that was kind of hard to figure out. But there must have been something that spurred those rumors on. So I also became very interested in the whole cultural archaeology or urban archaeology of why that rumor was so persistent. And whenever I had a chance, I'd you know, go through drawings or photographs or memos or whatever to see if there was anything that indicated. And all I could really come up with was, you know, those elevators were inside the mansion the whole time. It was built with the Montgomery elevators and they had to test those uh, periodically. 
And so people going in and out, or they would get cast members, they'd have to get cast members to fully load the elevator to test it, that had to get recertified by the state of California every couple of years, even though it wasn't you know, actively being used. Um, another interesting thing here, though, that I, I think I was able to confirm is there's been rumors about, you know, well, it was never really intended to be a walkthrough. You know, <laughs> Disney and I would never do you know, a walkthrough like that. Well, you know, they had lower attendance back then, so they could have done a walkthrough, but they very much did intend it to be a walkthrough. And here's a plan that's recently been uncovered. I think Chris Merritt found this one. And, um, and it very definitely shows, you know, the two elevators and a separate uh, walkthrough attraction. In fact, this drawing might have been done by an Academy Award <laughs> person, um, you know, working as, you know, temporarily at Imagineering for Walt on Walt's behalf. His name was Carol Clark, he worked on Mary Poppins, and he was asked by Walt to work out, to figure out how to, to fit uh, a walkthrough. Well, and, and people forget this, but Pirates of the Caribbean, before the World's Fair, and It's a Small World, was scheduled to be a walkthrough That's right. as well. That's right. And they, they didn't really have you know, a big problem with that, um, because in this case, with Haunted Mansion, it was two separate Haunted Mansions each with 1,200 people an hour. It was actually a pretty high capacity uh, proposition. Uh, but of course, you know, later they will come up with the Omnimover attraction um, that will render it more of a ride. But the other uh, kind of urban myth that I was able to confirm by going through all of the drawings, or not urban myth, but speculation back and forth was, were there supposed to be two separate walkthroughs and were they supposed to have separate exits? That showed up in, in a thread. In one of the threads, Daniels, you know, one of those, um, and the answer is yes. There were there were two separate walkthroughs with two separate exits, graveyard exits. You can see it there in plan where those exits were going to be. And in reading an early Mark Davis script, he has the ending of the walkthrough, the basically the parting um, shot from the ghost hoses find your way, now find your way out. So that wasn't intended originally for the stretching room, it was for the end of the attraction, and there'd be like a maze-like moment where you had to pick from several doors to get out. And the construction uh, drawings that I saw indicate these three holes in the concrete to get out of the um, show building. And uh, we may see those in a minute if I can bring this up. Yeah, so uh, this showed up on the internet uh, a couple of years ago, and there's three holes uh, where they're shown on the construction <coughs> drawings. That was where you would have to try to find your way out and eventually make it into the graveyard. They filled those holes up, of course, later on. <laughs> well, one of them is still there. One of them is the exit, the one on the right. And that's actually open to guests right now. It's an alternate way now into the haunted mansion uh, because of COVID. So what did it look like back there? It looked like that as it sat for years and years. And there'd be like discarded props and branches from the Swiss Family Treehouse. That's the uh, railroad tunnel up on the upper left. And um, inside, you know, what was inside? Well, the elevators, in fact, you know, I've asked a lot of my superiors and people who were there, you know, when I was kind of, every now and then I'd show my fanboyism at work, and I'd ask Orlando Ferrante or any number of people, you know, were those elevators there? No, 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 there was nothing in there. It was just empty shell for years, but those elevators were there. I found a photograph. 
particular will be coming up. This is a team of Imagineers. Um, they had just uh, finished uh, enclosing the tunnel with rock work. This may be another reason why rumors started about they're getting ready to open it because they see a construction crew in there building something and, and suits walking around, you know. And uh, so th this was one time they did that in 65. And there's a picture that, a random photo from the uh, big uh, green collection and you can see the elevator, one of the elevator cabs on the right, the, the back of it. So they were indeed sitting in there. In fact, uh, I, I'm gonna interview someone who believes he was uh, with a group of press people that were taken down on it. Uh, a guy who worked with Marty Scar, as a matter of fact. Now, I always tell people that the elevators go six feet under. That's great. That's great. How far do they actually go, Tom? Do you 18 know? and a half. 18 and a half. 18 and a half at Disneyland. And, um, and I don't know how much they rise here, but it's probably the same. Okay. I like six feet under. Yeah, yeah. I um, this hole in the wall is another one of those holes. That's on the other side. So that hole, they reopened up and used that to put the exit ramp through. And another interesting thing is in the summer of 66, they used it as a parade halfway, uh, what do you call it? The, um, not parade storage, but the parade would go up Main Street and through Frontierland, and then it would sit there for three or four hours until the next parade. So there'd be people back there, and uh, and there were lockers in there for the um, for the entertainment people inside the you know cavity of the haunted mansion. You can see like some of the parade floats in there. So that's another potential source of rumor mongering for the mansion. And um, but finally, it wasn't until 1969, the beginning of 60, in 68, they decided finally we're going to do this. And they decided they'd do it with an Omnimover based on the ultimate success of the Omnimovers on the, uh, on the Interspace attraction in Tomorrowland. Um, and the, that decision was not made until late 67 or probably more like, you know, middle 68. Um, they built this, and once they decided to do it, it was less than a year, just like it's a small world. Once they decided they were really, really going to do it, um, the building didn't even go up until, this is February, of 1969, it's gonna open in, uh, what, seven months, six months? Yeah, Mid-August mid of 69. Six months it's gonna open, and they don't start the building until, until then. And do you have any awareness that it's gonna be a show building behind the burn and separate from the facade that you've been looking at? For yeah, the Sam the Cam ruined it for me. <laughs> this map, or Colin Campbell, one of them. Uh, by showing that right on, on the map, on the souvenir map. So I was kind of clued into that um, part of it. So I, there was never a time where I thought the whole ride was in the mansion itself. Right. Because even today, when I talk in Southern California, people are shocked. <laughs> they think the Haunted Mansion is the facade, and they have no clue that the stretching room is an elevator, and the entire purpose is to get them under the railroad track, beyond the burn, and into that show building that technically sits outside the park. Yeah, they're um, spatially challenged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like breaking the magic. Yeah. So here's another shot. This is like in March, you know, and the building is still not enclosed. And now we're into like April and May, and the building still isn't completely enclosed. So I like to do these little before and after shots from time to time. Um, so this is a shot taken kind of uh, in the middle of the haunted portrait 
uh, hallway looking towards the loading area, and I did a little overlay. Uh, oh, in the background is going to be the, uh, in the back on the right is the ballroom and the balcony for the ballroom. And then I did a little overlay just to show you there in the building that picture was taken from if it looks there today, like that. And finally it opened. Yay! And when did you when did you finally get to storm those days? I didn't do it until October of that year. Um, and I wasn't aware that it was finally, finally opening until the news, local news mentioned it, like, like just a couple days before. And was it everything that you dreamed of? Yeah, I think I, I mean I think I would have preferred it to be a walkthrough because that's what was in my mind was that you'd walk through and you'd get to open up doors and stuff. But um, yeah, it blew me away. You know, the ballroom and the singing ghosts and Adam Leota. By the way, Thurl Ravensbrock was on a paper rock, so that was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's another little trivia thing. I, I don't remember it, but apparently those plaques were originally shiny brass. And they're not, you know, they weren't the uh, patina plaques that we're familiar with today. Right? Um, but there's more. Wait, there's more. Okay, so here's a revelation. This is this is something I just figured out um, day, a few days ago as the result of a drawing I found last month from the daughter of the um, architect who did these drawings. So that painting there is her Ryman. Her painted that as the concept, the first concept for the Haunted Mansion for Florida. So this has been published before. Um, and it's a Federalist style building. It wasn't, I don't know if it was known what date this was done. It may not have been dated. But now that I know what I know, this seems to be from early or mid-1967, when they just started designing. I mean, they weren't doing much for the design of Walt Disney World at that time. They were doing all the infrastructure design and figuring out where they can put stuff where it wouldn't sink into the muck. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so the first thing that was ever done was the castle and the design. And the second thing by the same person was the haunted mansion along with Herbie. So Herbie did that painting, but this was the first architectural drawing ever done for the haunted house. It's similar, similar to some others that have appeared um, online, but it's earlier than those. This is the summer of 67 and the, and the autumn of 67 when this is designed. And it is designed as a walkthrough, what I figured out because of the way, uh, because of the elevational changes. Um, that are indicated on it. Um, there's another elevation here. So these were the, the from the daughter of a guy named Ted Rich, who no one's heard of, who just happened to design the castle here at Walt Disney World with Herbie Ryan. So Herb and, and Ted were kind of a team, and they had worked together at MGM and probably at 20th Century Fox before, you know, before they were at Disney. And, um, and so Ted did this, and his daughter has these drawings that apparently Imagineering doesn't have. And it really does tell the story of, of uh, when this was first conceived and the fact that if, it was, if they were doing this in the summer of 67, they just opened Adventure Through Interspace. So they hadn't decided that. In fact, Omnibus were having a problem for you know, two or three months like every new ride system does. So yeah. I'm sure they would not have made a decision at that you know early stage that it would be an omnivore attraction. So Walt Disney World's Haunted Mansion did go through a brief phase as being a walkthrough, 
just like Disneyland's. Right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and the Haunted Mansion is the only attraction that was created simultaneously for both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. They built two of everything and then just set everything aside for Orlando and shipped it down here later right. with the opening in 1971. And it was the first attraction completed here. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It was all, it was dust free and sealed up and, and turnkeyed, you know, a year before um, the park opened. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right. And that was uh, my section of it. There you go. I don't think there's another slide. We'll see. It's not advancing. Come on. There we go. Oh, yeah. This I just wanted to throw that in there. Because I've been talking about a house and a mansion. <laughs> but that's not what the important thing about the haunted mansion is. It's the people and the characters and the spirits that inhabit. So that's my transition All right. to this precedent to talk right. about its most famous okay. and notorious <laughs> occupant. So to advance it, I just hit the... Oh, yes, that green button. Only hit the green button. <laughs> okay, so, well that was phenomenal. I'm so excited. That was way beyond the pizza that we had. <laughs> um, I cannot tell you how amazing this is to be here, not just for the awesome history that Tom's very fond of with this, with this particular room, but years and years and years and years ago, when I was a tot, um, I actually was in this same auditorium, not knowing that this was but for something else, and um, just looking at the people talking about the history of the park and never thought in a million years that I would be here. So dreams do come true, believe it, and it could happen to you too. And I'm really happy to be sharing this moment with you. So now that I've fanned out, People often ask me, how you know, when did the bride start? How did the bride start? You know, wasn't it cool that they decided to add, you know, a real bride? And what I find fascinating is that from the moment Walt had the idea of creating a park, from the moment there was going to be a Mickey Mouse park or any version of such, there was always a mansion, always, and. I don't know what I don't know what happened in Walt's travel that actually prompted him to always want a haunted house, but thank goodness he did want one. <laughs> thank goodness that he, he wanted one. As he said, people like to be scared. How many of you like to be scared? And fascinatingly enough, there was always a bride. The bride story of many different versions of a bride story was always part of the mansion. In fact, it was the central figure of the mansion. Uh, she came in many iterations. The doomed bride was probably the most prevalent, certainly the one that I heard the most about growing up. My dad, who worked with the Imagineers, would share this story of the doomed bride, which ironically ended up being very similar to what the opening of the Haunted Mansion movie was. The version I heard was the gothic doomed love story. Um, and let's see, there's a few more beautiful pieces of it. Yeah. A doomed bride wandering, wondering what happened to her lost love. And there's, of course, other famous versions. These are Ken Anderson, Mark Davis, and other Imagineers, which, of course, have not gotten credit that they deserve for the original renderings of this bride. I particularly love the drawing on the right. You can see that there's a tour guide there for the walkthrough version who's dressed like a milkman. That was really fascinating. 
before. But uh, that's one of my favorites. Nothing will ruin a love story. <laughs> like a milk man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. And then, of course, there was always um, other versions, which was a scary bride. This is one of my favorites. And this was the portraiture that was going to change. So she would go from being innocent to uh, actually wielding an axe. Is it changing for them right now? Do we have that metaphor? There we go. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> of course, stretching room portrait versions that did not happen. And, and then eventually, one day, <laughs> many years later, they decided, of course, to bring back some version of a main character, a lead character. And I think it's perfectly wonderful that they decided it would be a female character and that it would be the bride that would uh, manifest in the attic as the main character. And this was Chris Rungo who created that beautiful image, which of course ended up being sort of the fabulous final rendering of what Constance might eventually be. What often is asked of me, and that I think is a fabulous Easter egg that got hidden in the mansion is of course the early version, or the, uh, well, the early version from the early mansion, which is a tie over to the current Constance. And that is this publicity photo that was taken for a movie. Let's see if that looks familiar to anybody. Yeah, that would be our, our lovely lady of the stretching room. And that, of course, was the uh, was Constance in her later years, as when she retired from all of her beheading. So uh, that's uh, the history of the bride and how she became the current bride. I just want to share that with you guys, and thank you so much to Tom for helping me put that together. And now, Kat, I know you have a multifaceted history in terms of your connection and background with Disney. Share with us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, my father, as I mentioned, worked with Imagineer and did a lot of marketing. Sort of in the early 60s, mid 60s, sorry, early 70s, mid 70s. And that was right, of course, as Disney World had first opened. And I would accompany him almost every weekend while he was coming down to the park. And uh, I got dragged backstage a lot, got shown all kinds of things that most four-year-olds probably weren't getting to see which was how they put together the animatronics. I mean, it was in the panel yesterday, I talked a little bit about uh, that experience and how I got to see both the onstage and the backstage. And so very early on, I came to understand that this tremendous storytelling that was going on in the attractions wasn't just pure luck or coincidence, it actually was a lot of hard work by a lot of incredibly talented craftsmen. And uh, it was a real eye-opener from an early age that if you wanted to create that kind of magic, it was going to take a fair amount of work, and it, it would take a lot of development and brainstorming, a lot of great heads put together to create them. And then uh, as I sort of <laughs> grew up and became more enamored of, of the Disney attractions and the park, um, I decided I wanted to become a cast member, which thrilled my parents because we live nowhere close to the park. So I was <laughs> forbidden to do it, forbidden. And I went ahead and took all my babysitting money and bought like the crappiest stick shift you could possibly find and drove the five freeway twice a day so I could become a cast member. 
And uh, actually, my first voiceover gig was Storybook Land. So that was really cool. <laughs> and for you, as either a child, a teenager, or maybe even when you were working as a cast member, where was the Haunted Mansion for you in terms of favorite attractions? Well, Pirates and Mansion were among my favorite attractions. I think Peter Pan's Flight was up there too. I didn't really have a differentiation between those three for a long time. They were my favorites, and they sort of represented how Disney Imagineering could transport you into a completely different place, just like a great movie does. It sucks you right in, and um, of course, were immersive experiences way before there were computers and CGI. And um, I, well, I was terrified of the man. You guys heard that yesterday too. And that, if anybody was, was anybody there yesterday? One, okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. So I have to tell all of this all over again. But I was terrified of the mansion when I was a, a tot because my dad loved to sort of build up this gothic Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, I thought it was going to be, the, unlike Tom, I was the complete opposite. I did not want to have anything to do with it. And we would stand in that line and I would stare at this edifice, which was, you know, scary to me because of the stories he was saying while we were online. And he would point to the to the cupola and to the weather vane. Did you know why the weather vane is a ship? And that would be sort of grilled and tested on my Disney trivia from way back when. And um, it wasn't until I was in my late teens that I relaxed enough to finally really just enjoy the mansion. Up until I was 12, I was still going through it like this. Um, I didn't want to see anything. And I think what was building up in my imagination was probably much scarier than what was going on outside of it. And uh, once I saw the ballroom, I was just like blown away that it was so beautiful and like gothic in a beautiful romantic way. So that was sort of, I fell in love with it strong then. I'm, in, um, I'm impressed that you used the word edifice. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying to picture this small child outside the haunted mansion with her father and thinking of the word edifice. Well, remember, he was teaching me Imagineering, so exactly. I think I was picking up this terminology from very early. I probably knew the word audio animatronics way before any of my peers did. So, how much, how much of your father's influence in this entire experience do you think propelled you into a career course? I think Disneyland was always the driving factor, even though I didn't consciously know it. And that's a great question. But when I when I finally was sort of in my college years uh, at UC Berkeley, I was taking a lot of theater craft and a lot of theater design classes. And it a lot of the things we were learning, scrims and backlighting and um, had sound effects and how you could forward them and, and backward pace them and make it create a it sort of woke up in my brain, ah, these are a lot of the illusions and a lot of the things that we see in the Haunted Mansion, and that was fascinating to me. Um, it's interesting that I never, despite all of the early imaginary messaging, which I think he was trying to push me towards, I never actually wanted to become an Imagineer, but I did want to become a part of the park, desperately, which is, of course, a lot of cast members. That's why we became cast members, because we wanted to be a part of the magic. Um, again, never did I dream of the actually part of the magic, but I was tape recording on one of those little <laughs> early carry tape recorders. What were those called? Anasonic. Well, yeah, they were like the rectangles. Yeah. I was literally recording uh, the attractions. Nobody <clears throat> stopped me. Back then, they weren't nearly as professional. 
proprietary concern about stuff like that, but I was recording them and sending them at home. Yeah. And uh, I think that hearing the voices, Thurl Ravenscroft, Paul Fries, particularly, I love Paul Fries from uh, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. I was just so enamored of the tonality and the pace and the way that he would structure the phrases. I think that obviously planted a deep, deep uh, love towards it. Yeah, yeah. Deep, deep. Yeah. Well, and I would argue, yeah, you were part of the magic, but today you are part of the park, right? Because you go into the Haunted Mansion and you're there, which is amazing and part of the legacy. And so to that end, I'm gonna ask a question and, um, and then I've got one more for you. Um, when it comes to this particular job or gig, did you go find Disney or did Disney come find you? And I know I asked you this backstage. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting, and it might be something that the audience wants to hear. So they held auditions. They held wide auditions for this. This had been brewing for a while. I, you know, once Pirates, once the Pirates transformation out of Jack Sparrow was a success and come off well, then they progressed on to developing other classic attractions, figuring out what they could do. And of course, the attic was always something that was a bit in limbo we would say is the polite way to, it, it just didn't yet have a, a full character, the way the other rooms in the, in the mansion had a full, amazing character, and was sort of on hold in a sense. And as they were developing this character, Chris Guzman, who was the show director that, that I met and was most closely associated with, she had said to the casting person, it would be so great if the way that the character is embodied feels like it was always there could actually trick a few guests into wondering if maybe it had always been there and they maybe had missed it. Of course, you know, true true guests would never have missed something like that. But they wanted it to feel like it had always been there and wasn't just like slapped, slapped on at the last moment. And in that thinking, they were wondering about what the voice might sound like. Should it sound completely different from the other female voices in the mansion or something completely separate? And I think that was in the back of their mind when they did the casting. Because I got brought in, again, as you folks got to hear yesterday, when I got brought into the casting call, it was at Imagineering, the legendary you know, Flower Street building. I signed the NDA. I signed a second NDA. They handed me the script, which was fascinatingly, bizarrely just wedding vows. I've never gotten a script like that in my life for an audition. And um, basically was brought in, was told, well, you're probably wondering what you're doing here. I said, yeah, the gals out there all look like beautiful blonde Barbies. I'm not exactly sure what, uh, how can I help? And I was doing on camera back then, so it wasn't completely out of the question, but I did look different from everybody else. And I said, well, we're kind of playing with this idea, and we, we've loved your voice on a couple of other things that you've done, and we're kind of toying with this idea. And this is, what we're going to be doing is sort of, towards a classic attraction, think classic Disneyland. And they kept hitting the word classic attractions. And eventually they said, we'd love to hear what you would do with this, thinking towards classic attractions. And I just heard these lines going, well, am I allowed to ask any questions about the character? Because they're very on the hush-hush, it's all NBA, need to know basis. And I was just told, you know, I just, we'd love to hear what you do with them. And so I read them, I read it out loud, thinking classic, it's gotta be pirates, right? Or, or mansion, not bear country, Jacuba. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's and, been asked a long time ago. <laughs> asked, 
exactly. And so finally, I started to spin the lines a little bit, just, just to give it something different, because an actor, you're sort of thinking, what can I do different that nobody else is going to do? And I want to meet those Barbies out there. <laughs> I really want to get this, whatever it is. And that was all. That was the first one. And then the next audition, the callback, then Chris said, we're going to share something with you. It is a classic attraction. I can't tell you which one yet, but it is one of the classic attractions, and we're thinking of adding something to it, and the character is going to be a bride. So thinking that, what would you do with these lines? And by the way, would you mind holding this baseball bat? <laughs> and they had to be a baseball bat. Just stand there with the baseball bat. It was like the most, I was like, is this a test? What kind of a can of camera is this? And um, basically, I was just holding the, the baseball bat, and um, so I figured, okay, it's a weapon. And I'm saying wedding vows. So it's some sort of, she's not totally benevolent, this character. And I spun the, the lines a little bit more and they really liked it. And they said, yes, yes, at the end of every single vow, just give it a little twist, a little wink, a little hint towards something. And somehow I found this cadence or this way of doing it and everybody was really happy. Um, but now I had started to realize that it was probably the mansion. Like something we would just on a gut level. And now I was flipping out because they really were gonna add a character to the classic mansion. How could, I mean, I would never forgive myself if I didn't book it. Like how could you get that close to something that amazing and not, and as an actor, you're supposed to just leave everything at the door, just move on to your next audition? No way was that happening. And then on the, the final call back, they did say, it's for the mansion. It's a bride, and we really like, uh, just as if this is going to be it. What would you do with these lines? And I don't really remember that, uh, that callback because I was so terrified I wouldn't get the book that we wanted. I so wanted to be part of it. So that's kind of how that all came about. But were you confused by the baseball bat? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it, of course, was a stand-in for the acts, and I guess, I guess the idea was just we want an actor to improvise with it and figure out what they might. I just, I think all I ended up doing was just sort of, you know, it was just there. So I didn't really do much with it, but it was a very interesting moment. <laughs> I'm not sure, ultimately, they knew it was going to be an act, but I guess they didn't want to give away to me what was going on with it, so. So, you got a room full of haunted mansion fans. If you could tell them, one more, one more thing. What, what should they know? One more fact. One more piece of trivia. Um, what would you, what would you want to share? With Is that a trick question? <laughs> it's a, it's a final question. I'd probably say to you, why don't you throw it out to them and ask them what they're dying to know that maybe has not been shared yet about Constance. All right. Any, any Constance questions out there? It's not really a constant question, but it's more like a generalized question. Between the, the Disneyland version or Disney World version, which mansion is superior in both of your opinions? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching that one. I think I know Tom's answer, and we'll let Kat think about it. Oh, what's it which one is superior or scarier? Superior. Either one. Superior. Um, the Walt Disney World attraction is superior, but I like. The, I disagree. But I still like the I still like the exterior of Disneyland. Yeah. 
because that's really that I ruled over. But I really appreciate that, you know, especially knowing what I know now about the history of the one here. But I think the attraction um, here, you know, is longer and it's a little more satisfying because it's got the extra rooms. And yeah. Yeah, there's something to be said about the library rooms, yeah. the staircase, and the footsteps, uh, yeah. which you don't get in California. Right. And a, and a really great haunted portrait in the foyer. Yeah. I'm in the Disneyland camp just because I grew up with it and it's where my imagination took me. So, but that doesn't, that's just totally subjective. Correct. I grew up with it. So. But, and this isn't a pirates panel, um, don't get me started about pirates in California. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more, one more person. Question, right here. Could you say there you go man i hope you enjoyed listening to tom morris and cat cressida talk about you know the haunted mansion ride and the black widow bride um here and there i thought that it was like i said i thought it was a cool conversation thought it was a lot of fun to be able to get a little bit of a history lesson and uh yeah man so hope you enjoyed it and uh we will be back with more coverage of the Diz Family Reunion. Like I said, those videos from this convention, the panel videos, will start going up. I know they're they're late, but they'll start going up on our YouTube channel. And um, we will be, uh, yeah, new clothes in the uh, T Public store. That's going to be happening 
relatively soon. Um, so lots of lots and lots of fun stuff, man, coming very soon via everything. So stay tuned and uh, take care, everybody. We'll have a lot more magical stuff on the tribute show next time.